Let's see how it sounds on the computer. Oh, ho, 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 ho. almost right in the coffee. definitely working yeah now? it's working it's a, sure? yeah it's 100% working uh so we we had a little hiatus <laughs> we had a terrible thing happen that was uh it was n- not an intentional hiatus and the reason that happened is because we did a very long and fruitful recording day and we had some great episodes featuring Eric Escobar and we also had a really uh intense pair of episodes uh, where we listened to clips of Isaac's appearance on a white nationalist podcast. Well, it's not even a, I wouldn't even call it a white nationalist podcast. I would call it a white ethnocentrist podcast. So it is overtly racist. And let me just say for the people out there who are going to go and now listen to this, it was a good podcast because I hadn't really listened to it i had listened to it but i hadn't listened to it with other people around and there were definitely times in which it seemed like i was going oh what is everything no we're good going over the top to agree with these who are essentially self-admitted nazis and i don't know it was a helpful podcast because we listened to it with cameron johnson who's a gay black man screenwriter and with seth goldsmith who is a jewish screenwriter uh with two moms and it was sort of the perfect anti-nazi thing because nazi's whole point or at least the point of this podcast which is called um the right stuff no that's the website the website's the right stuff the podcast is called the daily show and Apparently, they have a huge following, which I didn't know at all when I went on. Um, but apparently, they have hundreds of thousands of listeners. And um, their big point is that Jews are controlling the media and f- intentionally undermining white society because they that helps them as this outside group. And they want to undermine certain structures like marriage and they want to make everything degenerate and it's very hitler hitlerian yeah and anyway so it was we had this kind of counter team of people who literally make the media and one's black one's jewish they also hate black people or think black people are inferior i don't know if they hate them and uh so we listened to me going on this podcast and kind of trying to have a rational discussion with them and in in having a rational discussion with them i agreed with them quite a bit, which was when I listened to it on my own, I understood what I was trying to do. So it wasn't so bad. But then when we were listening to it with other people, I immediately felt somewhat embarrassed, which was an interesting thing to capture on radio. Yeah. And then what happened? And then, well, stupid me 
uh, I've never made this mistake before, it, and it was the worst possible timing, but I had the recording settings set to the wrong input. So instead of getting stuff out of our mixing board, I got the internal microphone audio, which is horrendous. It's not, it's barely listenable. And it has the added shit pile of of not being able to hear the audio we were listening to from the Nazi podcast at all. So it was a real clusterfuck that yeah. I, one little mistake and that ruined an entire day. So uh, yeah. I was very annoyed with myself uh, for about a day. And then I started coming up with some schemes to try to get this episode in some form available for people to hear. Because they should. It's really good. And even going back and dealing with the audio that I have and, and compiling things and trying to make it work... It's pretty good. It's 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 very entertaining. And well, so you're trying to what are you trying to do? I don't want to I don't want to share. Okay. I don't want to give away what I'm going to do, but it is going to be released in a form that will if not as good as what it was, will be about as good as we can make it. Right. And okay. I of course don't want to indulge in any conspiracy theories that the recording was sabotaged by Isaac because he was embarrassed. I mean, that would be I wouldn't even know how to sabotage the recording. That that, that would be pure speculation. Yeah. No, I want this podcast to come out because right now there's just this Nazi podcast hanging out there with me, like agreeing with them. So I sort of want a secondary follow up. Yeah, on the record, and we'll um, we'll make that happen. Yeah, that'll work. But it was very it it's you know that that sinking feeling when you realize yeah. you've done something that is irrecoverable and yeah. you can't and fix you can't it. Go back in time. It was that as soon as I plugged in my headphones and I was like, "What's wrong with this audio?" And you're like, "Oh, oh no, fuck. what a dummy!" Yeah, you were very beating yourself up, and the reason why I didn't really care is because I knew you were going to beat yourself up much harder than I could ever beat you up. What would you have done though if it was me that had made such a terrible mistake? Uh, I th it would have depended on what the mistake was, what what its equivalent would have been. I think I'm pretty forgiving. I don't really, unless somebody's malicious, I don't really hold grudges. Like I feel it, like you would have been so mad. It would have, but it would have depended on what you did. Like if if you had done something where it's like we've you know we've fucking gone over this a hundred times, you know, <laughs> I would have been mad. But if it was something, if it was something else that you didn't real, you know, that was like a momentary brain fart. Yeah, you and, wouldn't have been mad. I don't know, man. I got the impression that you would just be so mean. Like, you would be like, I don't, you're such a fucking... I'm pretty forgiving when you come down to it. All right. Uh, I, the, I was trying to think about why it happened. And I'm really into, like, the science of magic and misdirection. <laughs> okay. And and it, w it was funny because I was thinking about, like, why I would have missed this crucial thing. But what they talk about in, in, in magic and stuff is that those guys are really manipulators of your attention. Yeah. Totally. So what I think was happening was my attention was so scattered because yeah. I was trying to get it set up and I was trying to get everything put together and I was talking to those guys sort of and well, trying to be yeah. friendly. And we have two really high energy guests yeah. in their own way. Uh, and yeah, it was, we were kind of starting late and... Yeah, so, no, it's totally understandable. I mean, I don't care. People fuck things up like that. I've fucked things up like that so many times. Have I told you about what I did with the Alderman when I was 18? No. Oh, wait, wait, with the, uh, tell it again, but yeah, I know the story you're talking you know about. Story? Yeah. So I was working for Alderman Tom Tunney's campaign in Chicago. First gay Alderman. He was like a big, uh, prominent 
Chicago guy, and he ran a famous restaurant called Ann Sather's. So he was by far the front runner, and I was interested in politics, so I was like, oh, I'll go volunteer on this guy's campaign. Not really, this was before I really knew anything about right. actual politics or what I believed in. I was just like, whatever, this is the good candidate. No. Um, and the night before the election, the campaign manager said, Okay, Isaac, uh, and this was before I was 21, which is insane that they did this. But he, he said, uh, we'll pay you and your friends in beer if you guys come down here and, because they had a bunch of excess beer, I guess, in their headquarters. Right. If you guys come down here and s- distribute these election reminders on everybody's door for tomorrow morning. Yeah. So he hands me this stack of election reminders. And I was such a little piece of shit. I mean, I had no conception of what I was doing. I had no work ethic. All I cared about was getting laid. And I brought my like little ragtag group of friends down there. And we took these election things and we spent, you know, maybe an hour <laughs> like randomly just like running up to doors and putting them up on the doors. Yeah. The next morning, 6 a.m., I'm like helping out at one of the polls, and I get a call being like, Isaac, what the fuck is going on? Why are all these people from District 7 uh, voting in District 11? And yeah. yada, yada. And it turned out that the stack of flyers was tailored to each neighborhood. Yeah. And they had probably explained this, and I was probably just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Just yeah. give me the beer and the flyers. I, I, yeah, I, I, get, know, how I, I know how to do to distribute flyers. Yeah. And they, I'm sure they had told me, and I just was not paying attention. Yeah. And it was a big fucking deal because this is a small election, yeah. and there's a bunch of these old people going to the wrong polling station where they can't vote, <laughs> and then they're, are they really going to spend the time to go all the way over to the next polling station? Right. And it was a talk about a feeling of total stomach drop of just like, oh my God, how could I be so fucking stupid? Yeah. And they were really mad. Uh, he won, but I went to the party afterwards at the, uh, the, some famous, why am I, the Riv in uh, like Boys Town, Belmont, uh, Chicago. And the, campaign people were like really cold even yeah. though i had even though they won and you know they probably should have taken responsibility for my fuck up they were really not nice they right. were just like uh go away <laughs> yeah which was the beginning of my the long string of <laughs> not being able to add value to wherever i'm working <laughs> that's th- i think this one is probably one of the worst uh, things like this that I've done. I don't really have many of these, but I had when we were when I was doing Fester, which was our our little film festival, that started happening because we didn't have enough of a volunteer force. So the double checks that happen when you put on an event just weren't happening. Right, and it happened like enough times that I was like, okay, I can't. This is getting dangerous. Yeah, no, it definitely is a thing where. So Gracie, my girlfriend. Uh, her gallery, basically everybody got fired from her gallery last wow. week. And immediately after that, like the next day, she, the door was open in her car. We were all about to go out to dinner. And she backed up and the door like ripped off because she it was open and she wasn't looking. And right. it like hit the gate. Yeah. 
And it's totally a focus thing. Like yeah. you're like things start happening. You start fucking up when you're in this. That's why it's like when it rains, it pours because your focus starts to get split and yeah. you start making mistakes. Yeah, you have so much stimulus coming in that you can't. You start putting it everywhere else that it right. needs to be. Yeah, we had the two things that happened on our end. I forgot we we project the the, the last venue we were in. We had to bring our own projection system, which is always dangerous. And I forgot the connector that connects like apples to Apple laptops oh, to project to projection things. And we had to go buy one like last minute. And that was almost a problem. And then another time, the guy that had. Where did you buy one? There was like a fries. That was open. Yeah. Wow, lucky. It was very lucky. It was about to close and we rushed over there. Yeah. Somebody that was attending the festival, I was like, can you drive me to fries? Yeah. <laughs> and then the later time was. We had somebody that made the video file that we that all the movies were tied together in, and he didn't QC it, and I didn't QC it. So halfway through, there's a huge fuck up on one of the movies, and it just gets all jacked up. Like it starts repeating, and oh, all this shit no. happens. And it, and and during the screening, I'm just like fuck. And in Fester, so probably you can't tell whether it's intentional or not. Well, yeah, the guy could tell and he was pissed and I felt really bad about that one because that's not that's not something you want to have happen when you're showing somebody else's work. And that's the time when I was like, okay, we don't have enough institutional support as an organization to, to like this avoid work. this. Yeah. You yeah. know, because I can't, I can't stay up until three in the morning and QC a file. You know, like somebody else has to do it. We just didn't have anybody to do this. To things, do that. So yeah. It's just, you know. Yeah. You gotta you gotta know what your limits are in terms of organizational right. stuff, and know when to pull the plug on things. I think that's a mistake a lot of people make is they get in their heads like I'm gonna make this work no matter what. Right. And the fact is, ninety nine out of a hundred things do not work. Yeah. And we have this really fucked up apex fallacy that lives in our brains of all we hear is these stories of shit working. Yeah. Over and over. So we automatically think, oh, uh, this guy persevered. So therefore, whatever stupid idea I have, let's just keep going forever. Yeah. And it's never going to. And that's why we're shutting down this podcast. <laughs> that's it. Bye. <laughs>
high school kids and be like, oh, I suck at this. I'm going to give up really easily <laughs> and go do something I'm better at, you know? Yeah, I I feel that way. There's probably jobs I should have quit much sooner yeah. than I did. It's But our society is structured so it's so hard to do that because you lose your income yeah. and there's no support for you. There's no like, oh, here's a, a fund for people that quit their jobs. Right, right, doing, right. You, know, you just got to get fired and then you can get yeah, employment. Yeah, yeah, that's... It, that's one of the problems. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely times in my life where I'm like, why don't I just put so much... Out? It's like relationships too. There's some relationships. You're like, why did I stay in this yeah. for this length of time? I wasn't I was like happy on. Yeah. for the last year of it. Fuck yeah. it. I think successful people are a lot of times people who know how to pull the trigger on stuff like that faster. You know, they, they don't let things hold out there. They just say, nope. Or like, no, I don't. I don't really want to do this. Even if they really need it, no. they know how to say like, no, nah, this isn't really like right for me. Whereas I'm, I've been for a while. I'm getting better at this, but I've been for a while. Like, I'll take anything. You know, yeah, whatever. yeah. You know, like well, I'm, I'll do anything. I was involved in so many dumb, sh- shitty things when I first moved yeah. to L.A. Yeah. That I look back, I'm like, why was I wasting my time? Yeah, why did you waste so because much time? Because I'm like, oh, you know, you know, you don't know what this might lead to. Yeah. But yeah, you do. It, probably probably nothing. nothing. Yeah, no, totally. If it doesn't do anything good for you, it's like, why are we doing it? Yeah, yeah. I think that that's, and honestly, like, the most successful people I know are the ones who are the most okay with not responding to emails and not offering a hand in this circumstance once they're big. You know, yeah. whereas my problem would be, if I ever was, I already have too many emails to answer, you know, with any type of real, like, giving, actually helping as much as I can. And if I was bigger, I would have, I would get drowned in these things because I, like, my morals dictate, like, okay, if somebody's asking me, like, help me out. I've been on the other side of that equation in LA so many times. You know, when I first moved here and you have these meetings with people who are just so full of shit yeah. that I'm like, no, I'm never going to be that person. And I won't ever be that person. Yeah. Like I will never leave somebody hanging. I, I will never not communicate with them. You know, I won't ever just like be like, oh, I'm just going to not respond because I don't want them to be mad, but I also don't want to uh, give them help. Or but does that mean you're anything. direct when you tell them no? Are you able to say like that? Nah, yeah, not. yeah. I think I think uh, that's you know more or less what I'm saying is, um, you know that uh, I I read a, in Bukowski's book of letters. He gets to the point when he finally gets famous in the end of his life that he gets starts getting people asking him for advice. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of letters of his where he just shits on some young poet. And he's like, these are fucking horrible. And I like, I can't, you know, my, my ethics don't allow me to lie to you. And I'm just going to tell you that these are like really bad poems. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's cool. You know, I would so much rather somebody do that to me than just get all weird and not respond anymore. You know, it's not helpful. That's not helpful to anybody. It's it's it, self-preserving. Yeah, it's so much better. Even though it's painful. Yeah, it's, so it's much painful better. in for a moment and then it goes away. Whereas the shit that haunts me is the people that don't respond. Yeah. That's Those are the people are on my fucking like death list. Like that it's who wrote me like, sure, let's touch base next week. Ugh, yeah. yeah. And then of, they disappear. You're just lying to you know, me. You're like, why are you lying to me? Why don't you just fucking tell me what you think? It's yeah. not, you're not going to, I can handle it. 
I, did, you, did you ever read the article called I, I Will Not Read Your Fucking Script? Yeah, I think I am aware of this. Wasn't that like written by David Mamet or something? No, it was written by the guy that wrote the screenplay for A History of Violence. Right. And he tells this story about he was at some social event and there was this young screenwriter there that was really bugging him to read his screenplay because he wanted notes on it. And the guy's like, eh, I don't really want to, you know, I have a lot of things to read as it is. And the guy got pressured by his friends and there was some kind of mutual connection. So he's like, all right, I'll, I'll read it and I'll, I'll try to give you some feedback. So he does and he gives, he read it and he's like, it's not a good script. And he gives yeah, negative, yeah, yeah, yeah. negative, negative feedback. feedback yeah. And the guy, you know, just sends a very curt response, you know, like, uh, well, thank, thanks for your opinion. Yeah. And, and he's like, oh, whatever. And then he starts getting flack from his friends that said that what he was you? mean to oh this to this kid. Yeah. And then it's like, all right, there's no winning here. You know, I can't really be honest. No, so it's fair. So you get why people do that, right? I mean, I guess you get why people disappear because they're just like, I don't want the headache yeah, t- of this person's ego coming back at me for being honest. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's the point that he makes is like, he, if there's if there's an firmly established like relationship of trust between two people, you know, where where they know that if he gives feedback, it's not maliciously intended. And right. he knows that they're asking out of a real desire, you know, to get feedback and not to have someone just praising them. Right. Just getting that ego boost by a famous screenwriter. Yeah, it's fucking hard though, man. I mean, it, it really is hard. It's hard and... uh you know, this new company that I work for... I, anyway, in being a copywriter, the job is getting shit on, essentially. I mean, yeah. I, and I'm learning that more and more, that yeah. basically the job is to deliver things and then have people say they don't like it. And yeah. then deliver things and have them say they don't like it over and over. And it is tough sometimes to tell the difference between feedback that you should ignore and say, no, I'm right, let's keep going. And feedback that you should take. Because yeah. a lot of people are fucking wrong. And a lot of people do hate. A lot of people just don't get it. And if you're being hired to do something, sometimes maybe the thing to do is to say, oh, no, th- I'm actually right. Yeah. Like, this is actually good. And you need to listen to me. Yeah. But it's tough to tell when you should do that and when you should be like, oh, okay, yeah, this sucks. <laughs> A few years ago, I helped a a guy had written a novel and he wanted to like adapt it as a movie uh, and I helped him do it. And then when we were done with it, I said, okay, let's send this out to some readers, like screenplay readers. Uh, And there's hundreds. Wait, it was a novel? Yeah. But you were sending it to screenplay readers. It was a novel that I helped him adapt. Oh, okay. You adapted it. Into a, a screenplay form. And so we sent it out to screenplay readers and they were really savage with a lot of it because he was so married to the no- the screenplay being exactly like his novel. And he would just send me these pained emails when I'd send him the feedback. And I was just like, listen, you can't take this so personally. Yeah. Obviously, you're wrapped up in this book, but these people are just responding to it. They don't have any connection to you. They don't yeah. care. They're just going, oh, I'm reading a screenplay. Does this make a good movie? Right. And sorry if that hurts your feelings, but if you want to do this, if you want to try to get your work made by Hollywood, 
you've got to learn how to take this for what it is. Yeah, like some yeah. of these notes are true and I've been trying to tell you and you won't listen to me. Yeah. And yeah. some of these notes are just not true because right. they don't like the genre. They're arguing with the conventions of the genre. Yeah. In that case, you just say, well, it's not for you. Yeah. But people don't know how to do that. They can't filter that way. Well, because your ego gets involved, which no. is totally understandable. I mean, the, the, that's kind of the reason why being a career screenplay writer, you do kind of get, I think you do kind of become less of an artist because you get so used to getting shit on all the time mm. that you sort of lose that. I think you need a little bit of that insane ego, ego to really make good art. 100%. And if you are really dedicated to being a screenwriter, you just a screenwriter, you kind of lose that. Um, I mean, Paul Haggis is a good example. He wrote for years. No, he came to Hollywood. He's the classic kind of example where I, I interviewed him once and he said, I just read Going Clear. By oh, the way. yeah, yeah. He says, do shit for free in the beginning yeah. and just build, 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 and write, write, write as much as write anything. And eventually, you'll start getting jobs. And he was a journeyman. I mean, he was writing shitty TV for yeah. like 20 years or more. Yeah. And then he finally wrote Crash and Million Dollar Baby at like the same time. Yeah. And I think, I want to no, he directed only Crash. Clint Eastwood directed Million Dollar Baby. Right. And, and uh, or did Clint Eastwood direct Million Dollar Baby? He did. That's how it got he made. Did. Yeah, he did. That's a Clint Eastwood movie. He's in it, but I, maybe Haggis directed it. No, Paul Haggis didn't direct it. I Are just, you sure? I know that because I just finished going clear and they talk about that because that's the the reason the film got made. Uh, I feel like maybe I had this wrong. And hold on, let's look. And there's also a funny anecdote about David Miscavige and Tom Cruise screening uh, right. Million Dollar Baby and talking about how it was low tone and... <laughs> They needed to get some ethics into Paul Haggis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Let's see. Yeah, it was directed by Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Right. Um, so. Uh, it's very, it's a very, if you remember that, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie, but it's very much in Clint Eastwood's kind of spare style. Right. Which is sometimes uh, Yeah, good. I mean, he's, he's a great director, but uh, Haggis kind of like I feel like he I don't know how he survived like he really did it right like he sold out first and then later on started making his own stuff and yeah. he kept it you know he started very humble yeah and then built up to massive ego somehow yeah and which you need again I think you really do need that um which is probably the best way to do it whereas I think a lot of people come starting with massive ego and then get it beaten down over time and then they end up <laughs> you know writing shitty tv uh we another bit of podcast news is we went on the unpopular opinion podcast which should be released soon i don't know if it'll be released by the time this episode goes up right and i asked charles immediately afterward how he thinks we did and he said a solid c <laughs> do you disagree I have no idea. I can't I can't tell how we did until we listen to it. And so to cover what we're talking about. Unpopular opinion is a pretty popular podcast. Yeah, how very. many listeners do you think they have? I don't know what their listenership is, but they have a very substantial number of people that 
Yeah, follow the they're show. like number twenty on Patreon. They they have a a serious following. It's not millions or even no. hundreds of thousands. I mean, I think it's like a you know, maybe but it's a have, dedicated following. Yeah, they have a small dedicated following. Um, or maybe even a large. I don't know. No, I mean, not well, because there's the thing is we don't have any pod. It's hard to know, right? We, metrics. It's hard to know what's what's big and what isn't. Yeah. Right? Is it? It's not Joe Rogan level. Yeah. But what is else? Well, see, that's what's so weird about the current metrics. I mean, Joe Rogan has he says like billions of downloads a, a month, but it's like. How many listens is that? Because well, that's yeah. It's, there's that's a million people who probably just clicked subscribe automatically, or it was a suggested podcast and they subscribed and it downloads every month. But that's yeah. not necessarily a listen. Sure. Um, you know, it's also the numbers are so weird. It, you know, like, there's these like Freddie DeBoer on Twitter. Yeah. He retweeted a thing that I tweeted recently, and it got a trickle of likes. Another guy named Compbot, who's like a big genius kind of frog twitter guy who i follow he retweeted something that i had tweeted at him and it got like hundreds and hundreds of likes immediately so mm. it's it's something audiences are really engaged some are sort of this just soft audience yeah the numbers are there but it's not really well i think that's the case with a lot of content yeah there's, there's a very dedicated follow following whatever it is and then there's kind of people that are just you know, they'll Around, check in and right? check yeah, out. It's like Schoolboy Q, I was looking the other day, has 2.2 million Twitter followers. Yeah. Do you even know who Schoolboy Q no is? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Schoolboy Q is like a rapper who had, he's a pretty good rapper, but he had one big hit. Yeah. But for whatever weird reason, the way our marketplace works now, like if you're a rap star with one big hit, you have the biggest audience imaginable. Well, and, also, but is it real or is that like... He might be interactive with yeah, his fans. No, or... I don't think he... I, I think it's just like... It's so strange. It's so weird. Like, pop culture, what enters the sphere and what doesn't. And some, some things feel so important, but the numbers are off. And other things feel so big, like Schoolboy Q. But he's a total afterthought. I mean, there's no... Does he really wield two million people of impressions? Like I feel like he doesn't. He and they might be fake, yeah, or not even that. They may be just leftover. They followed him long ago because Twitter suggested, and it just yeah, just lingers there. It's it's hard to those numbers as as a representation of like how influential somebody is they're not 100 percent accurate. No, it's so weird, and I still so on Twitter I scrape followers you know i'll get like one or two a week you know i only have 800 or something and you know i sometimes i get good impressions but generally i'm pretty ignored whereas on medium i haven't published anything on medium in months yeah and i still get like 10 followers a day right and thousands of hits a week without doing anything yeah and i think it's because medium feeds my account to people automatically because i've been like recognized on there you know yeah. So it's very strange how this stuff works. Anyway, okay, back to the point, which is that we went on Unpopular Opinion Podcast, which is a self-supporting podcast network. They at least have enough fans that they don't... This is their job. This yeah. is their main job. This guy, Adam Todd Brown, really nice guy. Yes. Very cool dude. Um, lives in this apartment downtown, and his studio is his apartment. He has a really nice setup. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I thought he was a great guy. I Again, I couldn't tell... Why did you say it was a C? Well, 
I don't I don't know that the episode was a C for us being on. This is the problem with what are you looking at? Uh, the problem with uh, I think you and I both is that we're good guests. We're good guests, not in a good guest way. Like we're we're respectful of people's right, right. maybe too respectful. setup, and yeah. that doesn't always make for good guesting. It's it's weird because I don't know unpopular opinion well enough. My feeling is that the people listening mainly just want to hear Adam and Jeff talk. So on on that front we were fine as just kind of color. Right. As something where people are like, oh, I want to go listen to what those guys do. I don't know that it was particularly compelling, which is the only reason to go anywhere else. It's true. I mean, it's having manners as a podcast guest, which you and I both had really good manners, Yeah, is probably not a great strategy. No. I mean, if you're going to go on there, you probably want to just be dropping fucking bombs left well, you're, and right my and favorite, crazy shit. My favorite example, and this is a generation ago, though, is when Howard Stern would appear on other people's shows, like Letterman and Leno. He he was outrageous on purpose. So people were like, what the hell? I need to go check right. this guy. He did it right. And I think that... I, it's it's a hard line to walk, and I we we did a kind of when we started talking about your story about getting molested by a gay doctor, that was kind of our good, you know, sort of thing that we do, which they don't they don't I don't know they're they're it's very riffy and like coming up with yeah they they tell jokes I mean in one of their episodes they like make a terrible pun for yeah like an hour <laughs> yeah they're yeah they're very jokey like they're very jokey well because they're ostensibly poppy. a comedy podcast right right and right. that's we don't that's not my vibe no. i can't be on all the time we do a much more yeah I mean, you were kind of nervous i could tell you were nervous i get nervous and i don't have chemistry with either of those guys which is a huge problem uh, I, I you know i feel uncomfortable talking to them both really yeah Oof. so I felt a little bit like that around the other guy. Jeff? Jeff. I, I didn't feel like that around Adam. It's I, I not anything that they're doing, but I'm just not good not friends with them, and I don't know their... We just don't have any rhythm. So anytime I go in there, I'm just like, what am I doing here? There's no reason for well, me to be Well, and you got to be a certain type. I mean, I think to really blend with their style, you really got to be a certain type of... You have to be a funny guy, yeah. you know? And, and, and I, I'm I, not I, funny. Yeah, I'm just not a funny guy, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it it was... I mean, people should listen to it. Uh, go check it out. I mean, they have a great selection of podcasts anyway. They're who doing, knows? Maybe it was great. Maybe it'll be their most listened to ever. Yeah, maybe. I mean, we get into some Trump stuff at the end, and then I always get people fired up. Yeah. The part I really fucked up at the end was when you asked... Like, it was time to, like, self-promote. It was time to, like, oh, what are you working on? I didn't realize we were going to get that chance, and yeah. I was just so not ready. Yeah. I was like, uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, suck. I think I had to <laughs> I had to yeah. promote you for yourself. <laughs> I really am so bad at that. People have been asking me recently, like, oh, so, like, what were you doing before this? And I just say nothing. Yeah. <laughs> because I just don't feel like explaining. Well, yeah, I don't... I don't you don't want to talk about it. I don't like talking uh, about myself. I just don't. It's not that I don't like talking about it. It's just, it's too hard to explain to anybody. No, I don't. I, I can't do that either. They're always like, so anything you want to promote? And I do have things, but I'm just like, eh, who cares? Who gives a shit? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nothing works. Everything yeah. sucks. Everything is, everything is crap. Everything I'm, is I'm producing crap. nothing good. There's nothing for you to go listen to. Yeah. Well, they, their podcast is interesting because it's, 
pretty serious political issues yeah. are ex- was healthcare, for yeah. example. And I've listened to some of their other stuff, and it's like pretty serious issues yeah. mixed with really, what's the word? Not poppy, not shallow, but just very surface level comedy. What's well, it's it's riffy, right? It's, so it's yeah, like very very like simple comedy comedy. Here's a thing, and yeah. then here's your 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 twist on it. That's R- right. jokey. Here's like the jokey twist, and I feel. By like the normally, way, I don't want anyone to hear this and go, "They're shitting on it." It's no. very successful and 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 well done, <laughs> and clearly their listenership versus ours. Yeah, it would- is a testament <laughs> to who should be talking about who. Absolutely. And I liked that. I I think that that was an interesting approach because it's different. Yeah. Normally, when you get that type of really poppy humor, it's poppy stuff. Yeah. They're not talking about celebrities. No, they're talking about serious issues, but then they're doing it in this very kind of snappy uh, laughter comedy way. Yeah. And... It's interesting. It's cool. I mean, I think Adam is an inspiring dude that he's figured out a way to do this. And and he uh, did it. He did that, if I understand it correctly, and we should have him on to talk about it, uh, but he did that because he was an online writer for a long time. He wrote and built a giant following of people that correct. liked his, yeah. his writing, and that was able to translate over to podcasting. And that's... You know, it's it's a really cool setup, and they have all these different podcasts. They have a really good Nirvana podcast where they go through all this Nirvana history, and they listen to like obscure B sides and mm. like weird trivia. Oh, that's cool. I haven't heard that one. I should listen. To that. It's all it's all very high quality because he does a lot of research, unlike here, and you know, <laughs> spends time thinking about what to talk about. Like we got this whole page of show notes. Yeah, well, that's because this is his job. Yeah, man. I mean, we got other shit to fucking do. That's true. Um, and but uh, one day, one yeah, day, go we'll, to unpops dot com and it will be up soon, if not already. And it, it'll I don't know what the title is, but it'll be something about healthcare. I think we're getting better. The, the I listen to sometimes I listen to our episodes and I'm like, this is just so bad. Like which and, one? And, um, what's the one that I like? The I thought the. Uh, La La Land episode was just a yeah, but you, you're disaster. you're objectively wrong in that. One. I know that's what's so people weird. People love it. Well, and there's other times when I'm saying like and um and you know oh, well, yeah. so much that yeah. I'm like, man, you are just such an unprofessional. Fuck. Belie- believe me, when you get a transcript of of an episode, you see a lot of like, very God. upsetting things in your yeah your daily speaking crutches. Ugh. And but uh, there's other times when we're really good. I thought uh, the episode about guns and religion not guns it's uh mass shootings and religion was really good and it was just me and you and we had a really relaxed i had several people message me after that and was like wow that was actually a really good episode and they were all on my side for once everybody was like yeah charles was kind of being stupid about that (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm stupid about a lot of shit well you were towing (laughs) the sam harris line so hard which line just the religion is all stupid and you know, uh, yeah, probably. Uh, I, I, I that episode is 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 a problem for me because I think we are talking past each other sometimes, and at least I was talking past you. No, I got what you were. No, saying. No, it's not that you didn't. 
it, it's not that you didn't get what I was saying. Is that I wasn't all the time addressing what you were saying, and instead it was kind of the morale is you know religion necessary for morality argument, which right. is not. Yeah, it, it's I'm so prepped to go to go there. That that's what I mean. You're, that, you're prepped in that Sam Harris argument, which is like organized religion is a disaster, which is not really what I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, and I I think that I was probably not at my best. And anytime I anytime I start getting in my head with somebody else and saying instead of listening, right, which, which happens sometimes, often. No. I, that's when we that's when we get into that like we're just kind of we're both making points about not the same thing yeah i think that was probably happening and your friends are maybe correct in some aspects in some i would ways. probably redo that a little bit yeah but you know that's what conversation is is, is is being okay with being wrong yeah can we talk a little bit about your article before Which we finish article up? Are the you? the uh curbed article you're still hooked up on this I'm, okay sure i'm I'm obsessed with that. Oh, <laughs> I'm obs- so obsessed. You are speechless. I'm obsessed with it because it's I. It's so emblematic of how fucked up real estate and and property ownership and property management in LA is. It's just a really perfect example. But go ahead and in, in brief summarize what happened. Uh, we haven't talked about this. No, we talked about it on unpopular opinion a little bit. And right. That was the only time. Um, well, so about a couple years ago, I saw uh, something that came out in New York, which was a list of the worst landlords in the city. It was a list of a hundred, yeah. and they had used complaint numbers and a, a variety of different metrics to measure and come up with this list of a hundred bad landlords. And in New York, they have a public advocate who's paid with tax money that does stuff like this. And this is one of her projects. It's very cool. I think her name's like Letitia Jackson or something. And it was very cool that she did this because landlords are secretly really powerful people who fuck over a lot of people, particularly Mm. in this day and age. So LA is even worse, far worse than New York in terms of slumlords and landlords mistreating tenants in all different kinds of ways. I've been mistreated and I'm, you know, I've been, people have tried to steal my security deposits and that's just the very tip of the iceberg. I mean, other people are dealing with stuff so far worse than that, but I was like, wow, if they're really that brazen Oh yeah. Towards me, uh, like a lawyer who's clearly gonna, you know, f- call them out on their uh, shit. When I I had the same thing when I lived in Venice and our building got bought. Yeah. And I was summoned in for a meeting with the new property management company. And they're just fucking evil people. Who? Yeah. And he they're was so evil. He was lying about, you know, he kept saying the owners. I'm like, well, you're the owner. Like, yeah. You're not fooling me. I know, and it's so fucked. Well, he he was like, uh. Because they wanted, it was a rent control building, so they wanted to get all the current tenants out so they could renovate and jack up the rent. But you have to leave voluntarily in order for them to do that, in order for them to raise the rent where they want to. So we had this meeting, and he's like, uh, you know, if we don't come to some kind of resolution by November, I'm going to get the city involved with this discussion. But only because I'd read my rights under the RSO, the Rent Stabilization Ordinance, I was like, the city's not going to get involved with this discussion yeah, unless yeah. it's on my behalf yeah, it's gonna they're not going to kick side. me out because you want to renovate my apartment yeah, yeah. there's there's you laws to, or you have to pay you yeah. have to pay for me to go yeah so 
after that they didn't bother me. But yeah. you know, they, they scared out a number of tenants yeah, and got them to leave for peanuts. Oh right. I know. And it's they're doing that across the board. Yeah. And all sorts of different ways. So anyway, I bought a bunch of data from the HDICLA, which is our like administrative group that sort of monitors uh housing. And I was the goal was to mimic this list no. that the New York advocate had made. I called the New York advocate and they were like, look, this takes us six months every year. There's a team of eight of us that no. works nonstop for six months to put this list together. And we still get sued. Right. <laughs> you know? So I was like, oh man, this is basically me yeah. alone doing this. There's no way I'm going to be able to put enough into this to really do it justice. So I told that to Curb many times. I said, like, look, you know, I really need some Had you pitched it? Yeah, I pitched yeah. it and they accepted it. Okay. And it was great that they accepted it. And the editor was very cool. I don't want to shit on her because she really tried to do the right thing here, you know. But the the error that she made was that she didn't realize how fucking complicated this shit is yeah. and how deep these landlords go to hide themselves yeah. and to make sure they're not hidden. So I, you know, I, I wrote what I could, I did research. I went to the buildings to, of some of them, not all of them, but I went to the buildings of some of them, talked to tenants, struck some landlords off the list from going to buildings where that weren't really totally accurate. I did as much research as I could. I told them, this is my methodology. Uh, you know, I talked to the LA tenants union. I talked to all these, gr- uh, several different groups, lawyers who help tenants rights. I spent a shit ton of time on this, yeah. but I knew these guys are fucking assholes and they're not, they're going to find whatever small little thing in yeah. here. And keep in mind the, I'll just be completely transparent. The data cost me $700 to yeah. buy. Wow. Um, curbed offered me a thousand dollars to write the story. Okay. So I'm getting $300 for weeks and weeks of work. Yeah. I accepted that deal. I didn't argue with bags for them. So it's, you know, it's not fair of me to be like, oh, well, they were not paying me uh, enough. But there was only so much I could do is the point that I'm making. And I warned them repeatedly that this was going to be a shit show and that I needed help digesting this data and verifying it and making sure that it was okay with legal but the honest truth is they kind of rushed it through. Like, I don't know how much they rushed it, but they didn't verify all the data 100% properly, I guess, the way that they should have. So after the article came out, naming 10 of the worst landlords in LA that are doing these really bad things, immediately, within two days, five of the 10 threatened to sue. Wow. And a lot of them sent direct threats to me thinking that I would freak out. But I, you know, um, they didn't, of course, know that I know the rules and I know they're not going to do anything to me. But uh, Curbed at first was like, yeah, like this means this is a great article. Like we're blah, blah, blah. But then it became clear that these guys have enough money to make Curbed's life really hard. And think, you know, in the post Gawker era, Curbed is a little blah. I mean... You know, they have a small audience, all things considered, and probably a very small budget. And eventually, you know, we went back and forth. I got really pissed because they weren't indemnifying me. Mm-hmm. Like, they, I kept being like, listen, you better tell me that if we go to trial, you're... I told you beforehand that this was going to happen, and you published without 
verifying a lot of the stuff that I said needed to be verified. And I told you I'm yeah. concerned about this beforehand and you still published it. So, you know, I wanted it to be published, but you can't try and what I was worried is that they were going to turn around and say, Oh, this, uh, this journalist was a bad actor who made stuff up because yeah. of some of course. reason as like to try and get out of the thing, right. To try and blame it on me, yeah. which was total fucking bullshit. And I said, I said that. So I'm like, I need you to indemnify me and they wouldn't do it. Wow. So why didn't uh, you ask for that before when you were, because I just didn't, I thought that that was obvious yeah. I, and I had warned them, you know, I warned them. Like, did you sign times. any kind of, uh, when when you agree that you're going to write this article and Curb is going to publish it, do yeah. you sign any kind of you sign document? a contract, but there's nothing. You know, it's a very simple, just like freelance contract. There's right. nothing in there. Um, but it was bullshit that they wouldn't like come to my defense and say like, "Oh, yeah, we we know you warned us." Yeah. Blah blah blah. And and I have in paper me very explicitly saying. I am worried about this. You know, we need to make sure these facts are 100% correct. The thing is, there wasn't anything brazenly factually wrong in there anyway, at least that I know of. It's just that if you want to make a a fuss, you can sue over whatever you want. If you have a million dollars for a a suit, you're going to be able to to find something that, you know, you can have a whole trial on. So... Uh, after going back and forth with Curb for a few days, uh, asking them for indemnification, them refusing, um, they were like, oh, we're deciding to pull the article. Yeah. So that was the story. And now it can never be found, except it, yeah. if you look hard enough, which right. I'm not saying you should do. <laughs> but <laughs> well, if you, you do... I don't think you can get in trouble for... You might find it. For that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the data in there is... A lot is based on raw data. Yeah. So the complaint numbers in there are rock solid. Yeah. Um, so what did they well, get actually, you on? That's kind of the funny thing. I had to go back with HCAI DLA a couple times and verify that certain parts of the data were correct. I mean, this whole thing is so hard yeah. because there's no infrastructure set up to fuck these landlords because these landlords are so powerful. Right. I mean, why doesn't a real Yelp for landlords exist? Think yeah. about that. It's because the landlords, every time there's a little, any slight wrong reputation thing they get, they'll sue yeah. immediately because they want to keep fucking abusing people. I mean, these people are fucking slave owners, basically. They're slaveholders. Well, yeah, they, they, slave drivers. They have so much power over your life if they own the building that you're living in. Right. And, you know? and they, if they want to exploit you, they can. And that's just the and if way they want to make that, life difficult for you. Yeah, I, if you want to make the life difficult for some illegal immigrant making no money, who's like trying to get by every day, working twelve hours a day, do you, are they really going to fight you if you yeah. want to fuck with them? No. One of the things that they did in my building after my meeting was the the place next door was being renovated, and they were definitely hammering and making all this noise, you know, within their legal rights, I guess. But it was like Saturday morning at like, you know, seven or whatever time, you know, just like shitty, petty stuff like that. It's like, I know what you're doing. Like you're, you're, you're mad that I won't move out. So you're going to make my life difficult. Yeah. And that's a big, so Freddie DeBoer on Twitter today said he's like going to some protest about construction harassment, which is a thing. And that was something that a lot of the tenants that I talked to 
and lawyers that I talked to were talking about that. That's a big tactic is yeah. like trying to get people out by doing basically fake or unnecessary construction all the time yeah. near their apartment. Yeah. That's happening in my building right now. Yeah. There's, yeah. A, there's a whole plumbing thing that they're But they're is claiming. it real or is it? Well, they've knocked holes in everybody's walls and filled them out again. They've done a bunch of, of shit. Yeah. The, my favorite thing that I was able to do, and this is why knowing your rights in the circumstances good is they weren't doing some of the construction with the appropriate permitting. So I reported yeah. them and they got a stop work order oh, put nice. on, on their work until they, you had reported them to who? Uh, I'm trying to remember. This is years ago at my Venice apartment, but I, I think it, whatever, whatever city was it, the house, was it the HCI? I might've been. Yeah. That's who you would probably report that. To. Yeah. And th- so I came home one night and there's a big stop work order right on the door of our building and they had wow. to go get more permitting and they didn't fuck with me after that because they're like okay this is a person that no needs- and that's the thing if you like fight back a little bit they almost always buckle because yeah. they're just seeing what they can get away with yeah but that's so fucked up man. yeah it's, it's terrible like, why not just do the right goddamn thing in the beginning yeah it's really bad and um so, yeah, I mean, again, the assholes win again, right? I mean, and then instead of examining themselves, instead of, like, stopping for a moment and saying, I am being an evil fuck, of course, they are celebrating a victory now yeah. because they battered, put like, curbed this, like, little blog into just being so scared about a suit that they have to remove the incriminating data on these people, which is real. I mean, yeah. it's... uh the everybody that was on that list was verified as a bad actor by at least two sources. Yeah. And that was my methodology. And if this many people are talking about you and you're getting this many complaints, I mean, clearly there is probably something that you're doing that is wrong, especially when this is such a problem that everybody knows about. Yeah. That's... And and the HCI IDLA, I mean, the funny thing was they were all down to help me uh, develop this methodology, mm-hmm. right? And they were like, okay, we're trying to figure out a way to identify bad actors because their whole point is that 99% of landlords in LA are not bad, yeah. but a very small percentage are really, really bad, right? which I don't know how... I mean, that's what they said, so that's what I reported in the article. Thinking about that and thinking about how common it is for landlords to be bad. I don't know if that's exactly correct. But anyway, they were saying, oh, yeah, yeah. At first, they were like, we're, we're going to help you. Uh, we're going to give you names and stuff like that. And one by one, the people I was talking to at HCI DLA disappeared mm-hmm. while I was writing this article because clearly they started thinking, oh, fuck. Yeah. We can't be involved in this, which is, I, I suppose, understandable. But their problem is that they're so toothless. Mm-hmm. You know, their enforcement mechanisms are so, they take forever. Right. They're like, they're annoying, but I don't think they're really enough to stop people from doing this stuff. So. Yeah. If there's not somebody policing that, it can get very nasty very quick. Yeah. And especially for low income, poor people that don't have any recourse. Like, what they do? Hire a lawyer? You know, yeah. how are they going to, if they're in the apartment and they've got three kids, you know, they've pretty much got to put up with whatever's dished out to them. Yeah. And they don't have the time to, to fight. Yeah. And cause trouble, like I do. Yeah, which I, is just so wrong, man. It's so wrong to just be in that situation because you have a little bit of money and to exploit that situation so you can get like a little bit more money. 